When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is considered a legend in the pro wrestling business. He has won many singles and tag team titles. He and his brother Jack are considered one of the greatest tag teams in pro wrestling history. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Jerry Briscoe. Jerry, thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Well, Brian, thank you very much. And always. Uh, troubles me to hear that word legend. I mean, I, you know, you just you don't look at yourself as, as yeah. a legend. Just, a, just another guy that that was lucky, that worked hard. You know, that that yeah. uh, got a few things to copy. But you know, my brother truly was a legend. And the funny thing about you know Jack and I being known as one of the greatest tag teams of all time, that really wasn't the way it was meant to happen. We yeah. really didn't set out to be a tag team. We set out, I mean, we both knew what we wanted. Jack wanted to be that NWA heavyweight world champion. I grew up idolizing Danny Hodge as world junior heavyweight champion. I wanted yeah. to be world junior heavyweight champion. Back in those days, I had no idea the, the difference of the money. You know, or I, <laughs> I probably would have had a different goal. But, you know, Danny was world heavyweight champion. He was my hero. He grew up, we grew up. 15 miles apart, you know, out in Oklahoma wow. there. So uh, I'd known him all my life and always idolized Danny. And when I got to see him on TV and when he became uh, world junior heavyweight champion, I said, and my mom said, I told her, that's, that's what I want to be. I want to be like Danny <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I mean, to me, you and your brother, uh, you, you really did a lot of uh, paving, if you will, uh, for the guys of today, your your guys from your era were making not nearly as much money as they are today, but you guys are the ones that really paved that way, did all that grinding and, and sweating and bleeding, and you know I can't I can't say enough about your era of guys, you, you guys that, that, you know, the territories and, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but I want to first talk about if we could, Jerry, uh, growing up, you're, you're from Oklahoma and, uh, growing up, uh, there and, and going to college, what was that like for you growing up, especially your brother Jack, who's about what, five years older than you, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Five years old. His birthday was on September 21st. Mine's on September 19th. Five years in between. So, uh, couldn't get a whole lot closer than what we were. Yeah. Growing up in Oklahoma, I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's like a lot of places back in the, in the, in the fifties and sixties. 
it wasn't a lot of money, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and my mom was a single, single parent, uh, and okay. I, there were six of us, so she, she had to oh, raise wow. all, all six of us. My, my old man got that California fever and took off and went to California and left the family behind with the promise. Well, I make it out there, I'll send for the family, you know. And, yeah. Well, to his credit, he did send for us. We got on the bus. We run all the way out to San Leandro, California, wherever the hell that is, by San Francisco. Stayed about three months, and then my old man was an alcoholic, got drunk, and beat us all up and put us back on the bus and sent us back to Oklahoma. And I never saw my old man again, <laughs> you know, except wow. for maybe five minutes or something like that during my lifetime. So my mom did a tremendous job, always made sure we're fed, always made sure we're, we're clothed. I mean, we didn't have the best of stuff, but we had what we needed. We had each other. And I think yeah. that's what made my brother and I so tight because not only was he a, an older brother, but he was a fa- father figure to me. And my yeah. older brothers were a father figure to brother Jack. So uh, we all had that. My family stuck together. And, you know, a very successful family. My mom, she, we had three of us to go to college out of six. The four of us go to college out of six. And, uh, so, uh, and the other two were, were very successful too. So, uh, my yeah. mom, my mom was, I worked two jobs keeping us going. Uh, and, uh, and so I had, I had the proper love and support coming up. So yeah. it, it, I won't say it was easy to be successful when you have that kind of support. But without that kind of support, I don't think I could have ever done anything. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's amazing. I, I did not realize you had other siblings. So kudos to your mother, uh, six kids. By herself, basically, that that takes a lot, especially in that era, 50s and 60s, uh, very trying times, if you will. So they were, and, and to drop that out, Brian. One 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 year night, I was in the third grade. I just got up, my last day of school in third grade, 1967, I believe it was May 25th on my brother's birthday. Two F5 tornadoes wiped out my hometown of Blackwell, Oklahoma. My mom had a great job. She was like a foreman at at at, at Hazel Atlas Glass Plant, mm-hmm. and and uh, and she was working that night when the tornado come. I was at my grandpa's house. We we're down in the cellar. I never will forget those. For you guys that, that's not in the Midwest and don't know what a cellar is, it's where you go hide with these big stores. <laughs> you know what it is, I'm sure. You yep. know, right, out, right out in the middle of the alley there. So yep, yep. I remember my grandpa holding that rope and that, that door just jumping up and down like that when uh-huh. trying to suck us all out of that, 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 that cellar down there. But my mom's uh, place of work was totally destroyed, and so uh-huh. she was without a job as were thousands of people in my home. I would say thousands. There was only like 3,000 in the whole, whole, whole town of Blackwell. But uh, she, she found a job at a restaurant. Then she got another uh, job at, at a department store. So she worked two jobs after that to, to keep us all together. And she, what a great yeah. job she did. Yeah, yeah, obviously. That's very, very, very well to see there. College life, graduated high school, Oklahoma State. Tell us a little much about your college life. We know you you were an excellent wrestler, obviously, like your brother. But besides that, what was your atmosphere like when you when you, when you first got there? Was it nerve wracking? Was it oh, nervous? I was in, I was intimidated as as hell. I mean, and I actually yeah. uh, 
I was wanting to go to Colorado University. I, I wasn't okay. wanting to go, to go to Oklahoma State. I wanted Oklahoma State, but it was okay, you, you know, having, having to follow your brother. My brother, I, I, there, there's, there's no comparison to me and my brother on the amateur ranks. My brother was NCAA champion and I was, I was in the room. I was a workout partner to a couple of world champions and Olympic champions, but, but, uh, my brother was different. I wanted to go out to Colorado and kind of make a name for myself, but mom said, no, I've worked all my life and I, you're going to go to school here just like your brother did. So I can, <laughs> walk, so I can watch what you're doing, you know, and take care of you. So, so that's where I ended up at school. And sure enough, she, she took care of me for another three and a half, four years, you know, and, uh, yeah. but, uh, it, it was a wonderful time. I, I was in the room with, like I said, uh, Yojo Yutaki, one of the greatest amateur wrestlers ever stepped uh, foot on a mat, no matter what country. Two-time Olympic champion, won one with with a totally separated shoulder. I know Angle won one with a broken neck, but Yojo won two. Three-time NCAA champion, undefeated all three years, outstanding wrestler two of the years. One of those awards should have gone to Brother Jack, though. (laughs) But... uh, the atmosphere of that room, I think that's really where I kind of got my work ethic from was Oklahoma State University. Just being around all those great amateur wrestling champions and seeing what kind of work ethic they had to put out to be the top of their game. I just didn't have that skill level at that time that, that, that I needed to compete with all those guys. But I, I, I hung it out. I, I stuck it out and. And I got time, and then towards the end of my career, I, you know, a, a lot of stuff started happening to me. I hurt my knee. Mm-hmm. I was out a year. You spent my red shirt year, like like in in, in, a, in a medical state. And then the next year, I came back, and I got hepatitis right when school started, and I actually had oh, to drop no. out of school because of that infectious type of hepatitis. I had to mm-hmm. drop out of school, so I couldn't compete again. And then the coach had to pull my scholarship. In wrestling, you only have nine scholarships. So, you know, you got to have that, have somebody on the mat that's using that scholarship money. So it was hard, hard for Coach Roderick. He came to my mom and came to me and, and told me what they had to do and said, you know, I could come out for the sport, you know, as soon as I got cleared to come back into school. That was like a, almost a year later. But by then I'd, I'd done, you know, Departing with my fraternity brothers and got it completely <laughs> out of shape. And Jack was rolling in professional wrestling at the time. And I said, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to I'll take that for Danny Hodge. So, uh, Jack was kind enough to teach me a few holds. And then, then the next thing I know, I'm in the ring. Now let's talk about your training. So, uh, where did you train at? Was it Florida? Was it Georgia? Oklahoma with your brother? It was Tulsa, Oklahoma, on Jack and Jack, Brother Jack's dining room. We moved the dining room table out, out of the place, out, out of the room, and he would show me some molds. And uh, the way it worked out, we were, we were, I, I was on spring break, and I was during all these spring breaks while Jack was working. I would I would travel with Jack, go around different places. So I met all the guys, and the guys got along with all the guys. Then in the summertime. Um, uh, uh, Leroy McGurk had given me a job driving the ring truck around, setting okay. up the ring and all that stuff. So once again, I'm around all the guys. I'd be setting up the ring, and there, you know, one of the guys would straggle in early. Hey, kid, I know you're a college wrestler. How about showing me a little bit of that, and I'll show you a couple of pro moves. 
Well, that's basically how I, I learned the basics of the business was just rolling around in a ring uh, before I, after I set it up for these spot shows. Then, like I said, it kind of continued in, in Jack's dining room there. So yeah. one time a spring break, we're in the car, we drive up to Joplin, Missouri, we get up there and the promoter comes up, Bob Clay comes up to Jack, says, Jack, we're in Joplin, Missouri. I'll never forget my first match. Okay. Uh, Jack, George George was his, uh, his junior was Jack's tag team partner at the time. He said, George broke his ankle last night and he's not going to be here. So I don't know whether to do a, uh, a single match or, or how to do this. Buddy Cope was sitting on the other side over there. Buddy was one of those guys who would always get in the ring with me and would, would swap knowledge from amateur to pro. So, uh, mm-hmm. so Buddy, Buddy got me in the ring. Well, for some reason, my camera went down here. I got that. There we moment. go. We're, we're back. We're back. See, we're see back. what kind of technical genius I am. That's what hanging around with JBL teaches you, man. How to I tell you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Buddy Coach spoke up to the promoter and said, hey, I've been working with him at these spot shows, uh, showing him stuff. He knows enough to have a match. We'll get, we can lead him there. So Jack looked at me and said, are you ready for that? I said, Faith, trust me. I, I'm ready for it. And uh, Buddy said, well, I, we trust you. So Back in those days, the cards weren't, weren't stacked like they are today, so usually the tag match worked what they, what they call a warm-up match. Two of the guys would go mm-hmm. out, out uh, and have a single match just to fill time. So uh, he said, I'll take you out in that single match, and we'll go through a few things out there. Uh, and and uh, I don't know why that keeps happening, but we'll keep fixing it. There so, we go. So we did it. We had a decent warm-up match, and so we come back. And Buddy said, "Yeah, he can do a tag match easy." Yeah. And they, but they made me promise not to hit anybody because they said my punches. I knocked out everybody. I tried to punch them. <laughs> I, I couldn't throw a punch for at least six months while I was in the ring there. <laughs> so that's basically how my career started. Just threw uh, uh, an injury, a fluke injury to Gorgeous George Jr. and I, I did a fill yeah. in. And Leroy found out about it. And you had to be really hush. I really didn't have any. I had a year, two years eligibility back. Leroy wanted me to go back to college because he was an Oklahoma State guy. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted me to go back, but I didn't want to go back after I had a little taste of that pro wrestling. And, and some of my friends, you know, were, were going to be high school coaches and, and teachers. And this is we're talking about early 60s. They were signing a teaching contract for a year to go coach and teach for like $5,000. That summer, I made $4,500 in like two and a half months. I'm like, two and a half months, almost five grand, where I'm going to a whole year coaching yeah. a teacher for five grand. I think I want to do this road talk. Yeah. But I didn't have any clue about the expenses and all that stuff. Yeah. Wow. Working in the territories, you, you know, worked a lot. Uh, gaining experience, you won a lot of uh, regional titles and, and tag team titles. Where was one of your favorite places uh, that you worked, uh, especially in your development years? You know, in the in the late sixties and seventies. Well, uh, I was really fortunate. Uh, Leroy had uh, 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 was promoting Oklahoma. He had Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas. Uh, uh, parts of, uh, like, uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, and, and, and just little places like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, right after I started, he, he bought, uh, bought Louisiana, which, which included Louisiana, Mississippi, and mm-hmm. states like that. So I, I, I'd been working a while in Oklahoma. So, uh, 
Leroy called me to the office one time. I'm thinking of getting fired, of course. And I go in there, and he said, hey, kid, you know, you've done a really good job for me. He said, I'd like to move you up a little bit to get you some some better experience where you're working with the upper left echelon of, of, of her talent. Mm-hmm. I, I just got Louisiana going, and I'm uh, we, we need a, a good young baby face down in, in, in Louisiana. We'll give you an opportunity to be one of our main guys down there if you'll make the move down there. So that course, that was my first opportunity and I jumped at the opportunity. So I went down there and it was just, you know, I was on my own for the first time ever in, in my life because I'd been living with, with mom there in Stillwater. And so I was yeah. on my own for the first time. You know, I had to, had to get me a place to stay and all that stuff. And I learned how to, how to live by yourself, you know, and I'm not <laughs> having mom or, or sister to take care of you. So, uh, I moved down there, and it was an experience. I got to work with Penny Max, some of those old Dalton brothers, and wild, famous Dalton from from Missouri and Kansas and all that, up in that area. Mm-hmm. I had a heck of a time and a heck of a run down there. And before I know it, you know, I'm getting a call from Japan, you know, wanting me to go over to Japan. But Louisiana, you know, always that first one has a special memory to you. Yeah. Although Oklahoma was really my first territory, it was home. You know, it's home base. Right. But yeah. getting out of way, Louisiana was 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 my my first one on my own, and where I had to had to grow up and and be a be a man in the business. Wow. Wow. Let me ask you this, Jerry, if I could. Uh, one of your favorite people besides your brother. Uh, that you worked with, either as a uh, a tag team partner or as an opponent, just the person that you really just clicked with and just had a good chemistry with. Who would that be? Well, uh, you know, there, there, there's a couple answers that uh, as far okay. as tag tag team goes, I'll, I'll start with that one first. When when I, I I I finished up, I was over in Australia. I got the opportunity to go work for Jim Barnett in Australia. My original contract was for 12 weeks, three months. Went over. Barnett did everything in his power to try to get me to back out of that contract. He'd offered me like six hundred dollars in the beginning, you know, six hundred dollars a week, which in the sixties that was big money. Yeah. So about, about a month before I was supposed to go over, he called me. He said, "Daryl, I just came through the six hundred. I'm gonna have to cut you down to five hundred in hopes that I would cancel out, you know." But I'd already told all my Oklahoma State buddies I'm going to Australia, and man, there was no way he, he could have told me all he's going to pay me was a hundred dollars. I would have gone just to go to Australia because yeah. I was one of those little country boys. I thought when I got down to Australia, I'd fall off the world, you know, because it's at the bottom of the world there, you know. And, and that's how much that's how much attention I paid to science, the gravity, and all that. So. <laughs> But I went down there and I ended up staying a year and I ended up the first week, uh, first or second week he, he, he uh, backed up my pay there. He, he gave me what he had promised me. And before I, before I left there, I was, I was up there making just about what the top guys were making because I, I oh, spent wow. so much time over there. But while I was over there, we, we started talking. Barnett was a big influence on me and, and, uh, mm-hmm. but Rip Hawk and Sweet Hanson from the Carolinas were, were in, in Austria. And I was working with them a lot. And we, I mean, they were teaching me and they, they, I was, I was trying to be like a spot, just absorbing everything they, they said to me. Mm-hmm. So they really got, took a liking to me and, and thought I had some possibilities. So, you know, come time where I'm, okay, I've been a year in Austria. I need to start thinking about going back to the U.S. 
and where I'm going to go. So Barnett had contacted Roy Shire. So Roy was uh, out in San Francisco was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Don Owens had, had uh, expressed interest in me because one of his top guys, the, the Siner brothers, were not the uh, current Siner brothers, but the old Siger brothers, whatever Von Siger was, whatever the name was. They 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 uh they enjoyed working with me, so they they fixed me up with Don Owens out there. But Rip Hawkins, Sweet Happy, just kept talking to me about Carolina, and I'd heard about Carolina from everybody else, and what a great place it was. Even though I was kind of wanting to go to California, go to San Francisco, you know, I, Rip and Sweet talked me into going to uh, to North Carolina. And I'm so glad I did because I got out there. I got to work for Jim Crockett Sr. And they said, oh, man, what, a, what an experience it was working for a man like that. I learned so much about integrity, about honesty, and all that stuff working for mm-hmm. for Mr. Crockett there. What a wonderful man. He gave me every opportunity in the world. So things clicked for me out there. And uh, yeah. and so that became one of my favorite places. But uh, all that, that backstory to tell you who were some of my favorite partners, at that time, I, I got, got hooked up with Sandy Scott as a tag team partner. Okay. I tell everybody, I had two partners in, in North Carolina. One taught me how to, how to work a tag team, and the other one taught me how to draw money in a tag team. And so Sandy Scott taught me how to work a tag team, how to be a good tag team partner, and when to tag in, when to walk away, and all that stuff. But the one that taught me how to how to how to help draw money on a tag team was good old Thunderbolt Patterson, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Personality himself. I was tag team with Thunderbolt for about two years. We set every record in North Carolina during that that run together. Wow. What a great partner he was, and what 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 an intelligent person he was inside that ring. So Thunderbolt goes down as my all time favorite tag team partner. Wow, that's. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't. I had forgot about Thunderbolt Patterson being your partner, and I was when I was looking up stuff. Yeah, that's that's pretty neat. Um, you guys in eighty in the early eighties, you and your brother. Uh, a lot of wrestlers outside of the or outside the ring and stuff, they would invest in a promotion like Harley Race invested in Kansas City. Uh, Vern had AWA. Uh, you guys invested in Georgia. Uh, what was that like? I mean, were you when you put that money in? Was it kind of scary because you know, am I going to get my money back? Am I going to, am I going to, you know, all these decisions we got to make? What was what was that experience like for you? Well, here, here's the deal on that. It was scary as hell. I mean, you know, you worked your your butt off saving that money, and I was very mm-hmm. fortunate. Like I said, I stayed a year over in Australia, and all the expenses were paid over there. So when I came back to, to the U.S., I, I was I was one of those miser guys. I mean, I saved just about there. So I had a pocket full of cash that, that mm-hmm. kind of gave me an independence that a lot of guys, even some of the old-timers, didn't have because they had nothing to fall back on. Well, I had nothing right. to begin with, but I had a pocket full of cash that that, that I'd made over in Australia. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, here I'm going to invest in. But I'll back up before I mentioned Bob Clay's name as being promoted there, there in Oklahoma. When I was driving the ring truck around for Bob Clay and Leroy McGurk, I was doing, I, I would do everything. I'd, I'd drive to the town, I'd go to the ballpark, I'd set up the ring, I'd set up the box off. After I set up the ring and all the chairs and everything, I'd go to the box off, I'd sell tickets. Well, mm-hmm. Bob, maybe being in college, Bob figured I knew a little bit about mathematics, which I knew nothing, but 
he he would have me separate the money for the payoff. He said, son, put 65% over in this stack and 30% over in this stack. All of a sudden, I started seeing, well, that promoter's making a hell of a lot of money in all those rasters are. So that kind of got sick, stuck in my mind from the very, very beginning of my, my existence in professional wrestling. This guy that's running the show, he's making a hell of a lot more money than I am out there busting my ass off. So I always yeah. wanted to be a promoter because I knew that's where the money, the side of the money was on. Yeah. But I tell you what, I like Harley and, and, and Jack, they were two of the few guys that, that actually had stake in, in, in a promotion. And how, how they got that back in the old days, the pro- promoter had a guy that he could see that would, that would, Kind of a local guy like Harley was in Kansas City that he could help contribute, draw money to the deal. Not only would they keep him on top, but they would offer him a little stake in the business. So, and so that's right. how Harley got in because he got over in Kansas City, and, and guy yeah. on the group wanted him to stay there, so they gave him yeah. part of they sold him part of the territory to keep him interested in there. You know, right. a, a, a vested interest in, in the territory. Well, Jack, Jack was working, uh, uh, working, uh, Georgia. I was working Carolinas. They wanted Jack to stay in Georgia. Jack was doing bang up business down, down here in Florida at the time. So mm-hmm. Barnett knew the way that he could get Jack and keep Jack was offering part of the business. So Jack, Jack, of course, bought in. And then I came, I left Carolina, came into Georgia and Barnett wanted to kind of keep me around. So he offered me a little bit of a percentage of the business too. And I really want to get into it because I got a big special coming up. Yes. About, about no, Black Saturday. So, uh, uh, we're going to, we're kind of hold off for a lot of this. I'm yep. sorry, but, uh, but anyway, no. that, that's kind of how we got invested in, in the business. Okay, that's yeah. I'll let the folks know that uh, Vice is coming out with a documentary on Black Saturday. Great Saturday. Get... <laughs> Great Saturday. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but so we don't want to give too much away because you know we don't want to give the plot. But if you find it on there in the next when it comes out, a few weeks, I believe. Yeah, probably a couple of months. They're just, they're just, okay. yeah, they just get down okay. here to my house not long ago. Okay. There. So if you got advice, watch that when it comes out. So, okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit, if we could, moving on, Jerry, to your – you were very successful, obviously. And uh, eventually uh, you went to go work for the WWF slash WWE. You were a road agent. I'm sure you were a trainer. You did all that kind of stuff. What was that experience like for you when you went from, uh, you know, when the territories basically were being either bought up or, or, you know, went out of business and you went to WWF and you had this transitional period? What was that experience like for you? Well, I'll tell you this. I was, you know, well, well, we're around a lot of, a lot of really successful people, but. I feel that, that in my experience, I was around some of the greatest promoters, some of the greatest people ever. In Jim Crockett Sr. What a man. Jim Crockett taught me about integrity, taught me so much of outside events. And then watching him operate, and I, 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 was, I, I became very close with the entire family. Matter of fact, I was a pallbearer at Jim Crockett Sr.'s uh, uh, funeral there. And so I was really honored by that. So. He taught me a lot. Eddie Graham was probably one of the brightest and most innovative guys ever in the business of a professional wrestling. 
Jim Bardet was one of the smoothest, uh, most successful promoters worldwide that, that our business had ever seen. But I got to tell you, once I went to WWF at the time, I saw a whole different side of, of the business I'd never seen before. I saw the entertainment. I started seeing the entertainment side. I started seeing the side that actually when I was in college and I kind of visualized it, this is the way the business should be. You know, I always, okay. I was never one of those guys because when I started out, I mean, we'd, we'd work in cement, Oklahoma and have 150 people, you know, and so. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of visualized our business being should be bigger than what it is, and and yeah. Vince had that same vision that I or I I had the same vision that Vince had. So mm-hmm. when I worked for him, I started seeing a different approach to the business, started seeing a different different attitude towards the business, but with mm-hmm. the respect of the business still in hand. That's mm-hmm. what I really enjoyed about Vince and the crew that he put together. Not only did did they see a different side of the business, but they respected the old style of business. I know that goes a lot against what a lot of people believe. A lot mm-hmm. of what a lot of my friends, uh, uh, don't believe about this, but he, he really totally respected the business and, and loved the old time, old time business. So I saw a different side of, I saw how a business should be run and how a business mm-hmm. could be run to be gigantic and be successful. And I, I tell you, that's really one of my proudest moments is watching that business grow from a mom and pop organization from Vince and Linda to a yeah. global conglomerate yeah. like it is now. Yeah. I was gonna say you were probably you were there basically from the beginning when uh-huh. they started that expansion and I've heard you know when the WrestleMania uh was being developed and and, and gonna be in Madison Square Garden uh, and you were a part of that process, I'm sure. What the anxiety and tension I've heard is that? Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Like, was there a lot on the line and and, and all that? Well, you know, there's there's a couple of beliefs in that. There's a lot on the line. I mean, I don't think if WrestleMania would have failed, that Vince would have folded his tent and went away. I mean, that, that's a, that's a, that's a popular yeah. belief that if WrestleMania wasn't successful. He had he had fallback uh, plans. He had fallback uh, 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 catches and uh, and all that mm-hmm. and and so. But it would have really set him back a long way. It might not have been a rapid because after WrestleMania one, man, everything just started to happen at an accelerated pace. Yeah. You know because it was so successful. I mean it, the, the 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 rapidness of our success just grew and grew and grew. And I mean. You know, people started looking at this as, as a different, different animal at that time. Started looking at the company. Man, that, you know, before it was, oh, this kid, you know, what's he know? You know, he can't make it. All of a sudden, boom, he, he shoots yeah. out WrestleMania and it's totally successful. But not only did it, did it make us big inside the business, but it made us big outside the business with all the, the, the stars that come in, the Liberacis, the Billy Martin, the Muhammad Ali's, the Tendy Loppers. All of a sudden, we're seeing that as not only a, a a local sport, but a national national entertainment source that that people wanted to jump on the bandwagon and be a part. Of. I saw growth then like I never imagined in my entire life. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it it probably like shocked you how big it got. So you worked for Vince for a lot of years, and there's a lot of 
how do you say, BS stories out there at the end. I'm going to assume, since you talk very highly and respectful of him, that everything that, however you parted ways, was on good terms. Is that a good assumption there? Yeah, as good a term as you can. I mean, I you know, in the beginning, uh, I mean, everybody, you get upset. You know, you, I've yeah. been with the company 36 years, you know, and but what I what I respected because a lot a lot of people got called from department heads and stuff like that. I got a call from Vince McMahon himself. Okay. And I could sit here in a tone of his voice because I've been around him so much and worked shoulder to shoulder with him so much. I can tell by the different tones in his voices how sincere he is and you know and what it what it means to him. And we had about a about a fifteen twenty minute conversation and. Uh, and uh, and so I, you know, when I hung up, I was disappointed. And of course, when you're disappointed, anger comes into your mind. And I'm sitting there on on on, on my deal, watching watch TV, and, and I start thinking, man, you had 36 years, you know. Don't be one of these guys that that bitter about everything. Look at 36 years you had, you know. Look what you learned. And not only financially, but but the knowledge that I gained working with that organization, yeah. it's priceless. I mean, I got uh, and now to this day, people are talking about instances, and you know what? I can check my chest out and say, you know what? I was a part of that. So I started thinking about the good things that happened in that 36 years. All that yeah. anger started going, it started dissipating. Okay. The next morning when I got up, you know, I sent this text on my own phone because Shut my phone down, my company phone down, a old phone, and you know, thinking him for the 36 years, and you know, I, I just recently when when Vince got back on board, I sent him a text message, congratulations. I knew you weren't going anywhere, you know, and I did. I knew he wasn't going anywhere, and yeah. and immediately, as busy as that man back, every time I send him a text with that five minutes, I get a reply from him, and I know how busy the guy is, and for him to yeah. do that, it. I know he still has respect for me, and I, I still have respect for him. That's that's great to hear. Kind of an off-the-wall question here. You know, late 90s, when the Attitude Era was on, you and Pat Patterson, <laughs> you, you were like Vince's bodyguards or associates, however you want to term it. i got to ask this because it's always been a – thing for me. How did you guys get that nickname, the Stooges? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a great question. It's kind of a funny, funny situation. You know, Pat and I, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, patting myself. I'm not, I'm not giving myself uh, props, but we had a lot of, we have a lot of respect in the business. Pat, Pat and I both. Yeah. I used to get Pat Patterson all the time. Pat, you and I worked 30, 40 years, become respected in this business and become you know, we, we had, we had a goal to be respected for our work and, you know, our contribution to this. I said, because of this, now all we'll ever go down is two bumbling stooges. Oh, don't say that. I mean, he would get so upset every time, but I knew he would get upset. I knew he'd get upset. So I, I would tell him that all the time, but it, it, it was, it, it was an error that I, I'm, I enjoyed. I I had yeah. probably the most fun I ever had in the business being a stooge, you know. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I think people look at it and they, they, 
I think I gained a lot of respect because the people that knew me knew that was a completely different character than what, what yeah. I was and basically what Pat was too, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and so to, to be able to, to reach, to reach out and grab that, that part of your personality and make it work for, yeah. for a huge global audience, you know, I thought was fantastic. I thought we made it work well. <laughs> you guys did. It was good. I, I enjoyed it. Kind of a little bit different question too. Family life. I know being from what I've talked to other wrestlers, it is a very challenging occupation to be a wrestler. Was that easy for you to balance as a no? Yeah. I, I have two boys. I have two sons. Uh, they're they're yep. as different as, as different can be to. Uh, one one's a, a stud athlete, and the other one's a damn good athlete, but he takes after his mom. He's highly intelligent. <laughs> he's an architect. He's an architect, and so uh, okay. But they're they're as different as night and day, but they're the same same uh, as, as as I am too. There, but uh, I yeah, I'm very proud of my boys. It was very difficult, you know, but. I, I, I was really proud that I was almost brought to tears. We had, we had my son Wes on, uh, a story with Briscoe Bradshaw, our, our, our podcast mm-hmm. that aired on YouTube, the name where you can get your podcast at. And, uh, and I, I was having an internet problem. So John basically had to take over the, uh, the podcast while I was trying to fix my internet problem. So I didn't really hear, hear it when it happened, but I went back, of course, and listened to it. And then uh, Wes said, you know, my, my dad, when, when, you know, he was a star and, and everybody knew he was a star, but when he would come home, he did, he threw all that stuff out the window and he was my dad. And, and he, uh, he, 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 he did, he, he, no matter how tired he was, he was outside throwing the ball to me or on the mat teaching me a new takedown or teaching me an yeah. escape or something like that. I tried as hard as I could to, to be that dad that I never had, you know, and I, yeah. And in the back of my mind, I always told myself, I'm not, I'm not going to let my kids go through, you know, the childhood that I went through. So uh, we, we, uh, I moved so many places when I was a kid, I couldn't remember my address hardly at all because every two or three months we moved. I couldn't figure out why until years later when my mom didn't have the money to pay the rent. So we'd have to move to a different place. So we had so many different addresses growing up. And I went out to Oklahoma not long ago and went to Blackwell, went to Stillwater. Every house that I lived in as a kid is torn down. So <laughs> <laughs> there's no no more houses that I lived in. I just tell yeah. you the age of the houses that I lived in back then. So, so when my wife and I were looking for a place to buy, you know, we looked at we looked at over a hundred different pieces of property. I tell her, you know, the story. I moved so many times. But when we buy this house, I'm gonna buy it and we ain't ever moving. Well, I've lived in my house and I got Fortune, I bought it 47 years ago. I bought a lake house out north of Tampa, and we've been here all 47 years, and I ain't going right. anywhere. <laughs> That's great to hear. That is so wonderful. I can tell you, when I saw you in St. Louis at the Fan Fest at SICW, I could tell that you and your son, Wes, were really close, because he'd come over right there and then sat down with you, started chit-chatting, I think he even hugged you a little bit. And uh, I, I that's, you know... That's what I like to see because I hear too many times from others that, you know, it didn't work, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. And there are a few that, you know, you got to put your foot down and you got to 
make the time and effort. So I applaud you for that, sir, because I know it's challenging. Yeah, sure. very challenging. And, and you know, uh, my uh, we're old country folk, and as you you're, you're from out in that Midwest, and you got you got yep. kid folk that you got to hug them, you know. Yeah. And we're 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 a hugging family. I mean, we we're, yep. we're we're we're. I see my sisters. Well, I got one sister lives out in California. A sister lives over in Orlando, and a brother that's 87 years old that lives down the road. When we we still hug on each other, and you know we're 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 yeah. we're family. You know. Yeah, that's that's great. I love to hear that. So I understand. I'm, we're the same way with our family. Two more questions. One is. You're inducted into a lot of Hall of Fames. We kind of talked about this a little bit before we came on. Um, you know, if it's a Hall of Fame, you're probably in it for wrestling. You're also, uh, we're honored. At your favorite, what are your favorite Hall of Fames? Let's talk about that. Well, you know, I, they're, 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 I'm, I've been blessed, you know. I like to tell people, well, you're in a lot of hot wallets. I'm old, you know. <laughs> they run, they run out of people because I've not lived so many people in, in my, my lifetime, you know. But I'm really honored to be in every one of them. And it, it, when I say this about one or two of them, I'm not putting down the others because they're all yeah. just as important as, as, as the ones I'll mention here. But, uh, you know, I'm really, really, really thankful I've done so much with amateur wrestling throughout my career. I started amateur wrestling when I was six years old. Like I said, when when I had kids, I got moved close to a school where I could be a volunteer wrestling coach. I volunteered for 12 years for our high school wrestling team here. And we we, we went from a brand new school, place of very last in the Florida State Championship, to when when I retired because of health issues. We're in the top five in the state, so I'm very wow. thankful for that. So, by amateur, the, the National Wrestling uh, Hall of Fame out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. That's amateur wrestling. I've been I've been uh, fortunate enough because of all my contributions to the sport to be inducted in that one. But the one really that sets it apart, and it's not sports related, but I got in definitely because of my sports ability is a Chickasaw Nation Hall of Fame because that's a family Hall of Fame. I mean, I when I was inducted, I was inducted with a lot of these people that every one of the people that I seemed like I was inducted, their family has a county named Afro in Oklahoma. So, you know, but it was just my contribution. Always been a proud member. Thanks to Gordon Sony. Every time we're on TV, these, these Native Americans, they're Chickasaw descent, they're Chickasaw, Choctaw descent. You know, that Indian blood, that native blood helps them be that have the determination and the drive that they have. So yeah. good old Gordon Soli is one that really brought that out. People used to ask it all the time, why don't you wear the feathers and pink space? Because we never felt we had to. We always felt our gimmick was wrestling. We had yeah. we were wrestling and that's what we wanted to be. We didn't want to be Indian. We were Indian. We didn't want to be something that we were. We wanted yeah. to be wrestled and that was our gimmick and Danny Hodge once told me in the ring, kid, don't ever let anybody out wrestle you because that's your gimmick. Don't everybody let everybody ever try to take your gimmick away from you. And I lived by that my entire career. But the Chickasaw Nation, just, uh, just mostly because it's about family. Yeah. You know, my family was inducted and it wasn't me and Jack was inducted. It was my family. The way I looked at it, it was my family, my entire family. Yeah. My mom, my grandparents, who, who set the tone, you know, 
Well, I go back three generations. When we had to enlist and become tribal members, we had to go back three generations. So I went back like three or four generations and started research. My family made that proletarian mark from Mississippi, Alabama, all the way out to Oklahoma, and survived, and survived. And, yeah. and that's the reason I'm here today. So I'm so proud of my heritage. I mean, people get tired of me talking about it, about it but no. That, that, uh, to me, that that's the greatest blessing that, that the good Lord ever gave me was maybe a uh, Native American ticket I'll talk to all members. Wow. That's, when I saw that when I was doing research, I was like, that's, that's a hard, uh, or a difficult Hall of Fame to get into, obviously, because you have to be Chickasaw and there's a lot of criteria for that. So I, I applaud you guys. I mean, that's a, quite an honor. So let's talk, uh, Podcast. You have a podcast out with uh, old uh, JBL. <laughs> Let's talk about that just for a minute, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap it up. So, tell us a little bit about this podcast. Well, it, it's stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw, and it it kind of kind of happened. Uh, you know, we can look back at the, at the COVID and pandemic, and you know, blame it for a lot of things. We blame it for my podcast, but. You know, we we're all sitting around, didn't have anything to do. We we're all, you know, kind of asked to stay at home and everything. So you had none of that interaction. You know, wrestlers, we always say, I hate people. I hate being around people. But, man, when you're around people your entire life and all of a sudden you're forced to go cold turkey and just go solo by yourself, you start missing people. You start realizing, man, I don't hate people. I don't hate crowds. I enjoy that in my life. That's what makes my skin crawl. That's what gives me those goosebumps when I'm around a lot of people. And so we're entertainers. I mean, you know, first and foremost, we're entertainers. So John and I are both both real outgoing type personalities. We're we're not not one of those type B personalities where we like to go in a closed door and show where we're staying there. We, We like people. We like interaction. So I was doing some goofy stuff. I met this young, great young comedian by the name of Taylor Williamson from, from L.A. Taylor, Taylor liked my personality, thought I had a funny sense of humor. So we started doing these goofy things. Uh, my big announcement, Jerry Briscoe's big announcement, you know, where we just got creative and, you know, started entertaining each other. Just have something to do, basically. Yeah. And so yeah. JBL was doing the same thing on, on a different channel. And all of a sudden, we started noticing each other and what we're doing. So, you know, after a while, my big announcement, I got a little tired doing that. And Taylor, Taylor started getting some booking, so he got occupied. So, uh, so John, John called me one day. He said, "Hey, you're doing this stuff. I'm doing this stuff. Why don't we do it together? We worked. We always got along get well together. We were yeah. adverse enough where we we pick on each other enough, you know, just enough <laughs> during the show." Where people like like that kind of stuff, you know, where I'm yeah. on on big JBL and JBL's making fun of me, whatever. Why don't we do one together? Just see how it goes. So we started a few together, and they were okay. Then we started we started doing these old famous road stories, you know, you know yeah. with some of yeah. the most famous road stories in the history of business. We've covered on stories with Bristol and Bradshaw. So then, yeah. we, well, instead of us doing, why don't we bring on the people? Because we're friends with all these people. Why don't we bring them on on our podcast and let them tell the story firsthand so it's not this secondhand stuff. That, you know, so when you hear it on Briscoe and Bradshaw, it's coming from the guy who started the story, who wrote the story. So yeah. we started getting them on there. 
And before you long, it just started taking off. And two years later, we're still kicking, we're still doing it, and having a yeah. hell of a time. But it was mostly yeah. for the entertainment of each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show, by the way. So if you're listening and watching, get on there. Uh, it's on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Briscoe, sir, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Quite an honor. Well, thank you so much. Bumps and thumbs, man. Everybody tune into this thing, subscribe to it, like it, whatever you need to do, but let's just make this thing roll. And look forward to seeing you down the road. I still look forward to seeing you in Waterloo, Iowa, I hope. Yes, yes. Let's talk yeah. about Waterloo, Iowa before we go there. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. The Dad Gable Museum out, out in Waterloo, Iowa. There ain't a lot out in Waterloo, Iowa, but there's Dad Gable Museum out there. It's one of the most spectacular wrestling museums. If you've never seen it, you haven't seen anything about wrestling. It covers every sport, uh, every 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 uh, aspect of, of amateur wrestling. Greco-Roman, Freeshaw, Folkstall, and then you get into professional wrestling. It covers everything. It's got a wing for everything out there. Dan Gable's out there. Everybody what Dan Gable, amateur. Dan Gable is one of the nicest guys, most approachable people that you've ever seen. Our, our fans go out there. They meet Dan Gable. And, and I don't care what a professional wrestler I have out there. Usually when they meet Dan Gable, that's the highlight of the week. And not only the fans, but when the wrestlers come out there, a lot of the wrestlers come out there for one reason, and that's to shake hands with Dan Gable. And Dan's there. He's the biggest supporter of pro wrestling you'll ever find on the amateur wrestling side. It has everything to offer. It's coming up in, in July, July 21st, 20th, or 23rd, something like that. But it, it's a trip you'll never forget. It's totally interactive. We're totally fan-friendly fan out there. The guys and the girls that come along. We've had girls that we had uh, – Chris Stratus out there, and Chris will get mad at me for talking about this, but <laughs> Chris and several other of the, of the, of, of the top talent that come out there, they, they do these autograph sessions. They, they're not doing it to keep the money themselves. Chris did it for two and a half hours last year at, at the Hall of Fame, and she donated $3,000 to the, oh, wow. to the, the wrestling hall, the hall of Fame out there. That's the type of people that we bring out there. And so they're fan friendly. They'll post with pictures with anybody. And, and you've been out there. You know, you know what a great, exciting weekend it is. Yeah. So it's coming up yeah. in July. Don't miss it. You, you'll regret yeah. it. But, uh, the Dan Gable Museum, the George Trayus, who says all things. Yes. Don't, hey, if you can get out there, folks, do it. It is worth it. You're going to meet Dan Gable. You'll meet legends out there. And it's a great time. It really is. So. Mr. Jerry Briscoe, sir, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. My honor, man. Let's keep these things going. Everybody turn right. in. A bump to thumbs. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. 
Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into like snuff film territory there. In the room, 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein with the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. Yeah, you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Paul Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is after, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a loss. Did you have anything to do? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this. If your rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World Wide Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, vocnation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation.